Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Southern Extra. I'm your host, Nathan Dominitz, the sports content editor of the Savannah Morning News. Every week we talk about Georgia Southern Athletics, specifically the football team, which opened the season last Saturday with a 59-7 win over Morgan State. Morgan State's an FCS team that's been struggling. Uh, Georgia Southern coming off of a 3-9 and season last year as a brand new head coach, Clay Helton. People know him. Uh, he's been uh, with the program now 10 months, uh, but that was his first game. And Morgan State uh, not expected to really press the uh, push the uh, Eagles very much. And once the uh, the new systems came and uh, got clicking, offense, defense, and special teams, the Eagles pulled away. But for the first half, it was it was a competitive game, and I think that's something our special guest Robin Washett can talk about because he's been covering Nebraska football for 15 seasons with Husker Online. And Robin, you've been uh, covering Nebraska football since 2002, correct? Yeah, going back to my college days at the uh, Daily Nebraska and the student papers. So uh, I've seen a lot <laughs> over the last 20 years, uh, some of the most turbulent times in Nebraska football history. But uh, we're, we're still here and uh, on to a very intriguing 2022 season. Well, that's great. We, uh, we've got a lot to talk about because Nebraska, like you mentioned, is kind of for those of us who remember the Tom Osborne days or 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 even since then, Bo Pelini days, maybe, but uh Frank Solich, uh Nebraska represented consistent excellence. Uh maybe they didn't always win bowl games, maybe they didn't win national titles, but they were in the bowl games every year. The system was set up differently than it is now, but Nebraska was so consistent, uh playing uh Big Ten, well now Big Ten football. It wasn't Big Ten all the time, but uh, and Scott Frost was a star player for the Cornhuskers, part of the Big Red Machine. Uh, catch us all up. It may take you two days to explain it all, but where is the Nebraska program right now, and how did we get here? Yeah, um, it's not in a very good spot. Um, as some may know, they have not even been to a bowl game since 2016. Um, and going before that, uh, it's been a lot of ups and downs. Um, you know, I guess Scott Frost, obviously four straight losing seasons off to one and one start, um, already through two games in 2022. And, uh, the, the clock is very much ticking and it's ticking loudly, um, with, with him Uh, now in year five, uh, he came into this deal needing to show real tangible evidence of success and progress. And, that Northwestern game, albeit a three-point loss, was uh, a pretty detrimental start to mm-hmm. just the tenor surrounding this season. There was already a lot of skepticism 
about the off season they had. Um, you know, they revamped their entire offensive coaching staff, brought a new offensive coordinator, Mark Whipple, uh, brought in, I think, 15 transfers that are starting or in the two deep. Uh, so they tried to hit the reset button. Um, and with that, you know, mm-hmm. you would assume it's going to take some time to get things settled and, um, you know, get everybody in place and on the same page. Well, unfortunately for them, they don't have the luxury of having time. Uh, it needs to happen now. Uh, and now they're in a situation where, um, you know, they, they've got to get through you know, this, this coming game against Georgia Southern. And then they have a game against Oklahoma at home that mm-hmm. is going to be at least another opportunity to try to um, shift the narrative a little bit one way or the other mm-hmm. of this season. If they go and just like last year where they were in a very similar situation, they went down to Norman and almost won the game. And that kind of, you know, breathe a little life into the program for a little bit. But uh, if they can replicate that, then maybe we're having a different discussion in a week, but mm-hmm. uh, that's, that's a pretty critical point to where if they don't and they get blown out um, or, you know, lose uh, in, a, in a somewhat lopsided fashion, uh, you know, October 1st looms large that when you go back to this past year, Trev Alberts agreed to bring Scott Frost back for a fifth season under the condition that he restructures contract and significantly mm-hmm. reduces buyout. Well, that goes into effect starting October 1st and October 1st is their homecoming game against Indiana. And so, you know, they play Oklahoma in two or yeah, two weeks, two and a half or a week and a half, and then they have a bye week. Um, so if they lose to Oklahoma and somehow lose to Indiana, and, you know, maybe things get pretty interesting on that front to where I don't think Nebraska's ever had a in-season coaching change or at mm. least in coach firing. Wow. That could be on the table, um, depending just on how things go. Frost is literally living week to week at this point to where, mm. you know, he's coaching for his job every single game. And the outcome of every Saturday is going to sway the pendulum one way or the other. So, uh yeah, it's the <laughs> Southern will be entering a very interesting situation at Memorial yeah. Stadium where, um, you know, there's there's going to be some weird vibes there a little bit, just like there was last week, you know, right. with that yeah. Dakota game where, um, you know, people are going to be closely watching every play, every drive and every decision Scott Frost makes to kind of go on with uh, a decision that potentially could be happening sooner than later. Yeah, that's not an overstatement to say every decision, and I'll I'll I'll, I'll support that point in a second. I just want to remind everybody we're talking with Robin Washit from Husker Online. Uh, he knows everything about uh, Nebraska. No pressure there, Robin. He knows everything that's going on <laughs> with Nebraska. Nebraska is hosting Georgia Southern uh, this Saturday night, uh, seven thirty Eastern, six thirty Central on um, FS1, so people can watch it there or they can listen to it on on Georgia Southern Radio. Um, they're going into Memorial Stadium, about 86,000. Uh, it's been sold out every game since 1962, I believe. 384th sellout coming up. That is a measure of the bo- most loyal fan base you can imagine. You're going back before the players are born, probably before their parents are born. At 60 years, I'm going to give the parents. I'm a parent of a college-age student, so I would be right on the edge on that. But uh, but uh, we're, we're talking about these players have to hear it from their grandparents or their fans about how it used to be, uh, mm. you know, unless they can YouTube it or something, but uh, you're not kidding when you say every decision, because a decision that was made in the Northwestern game, 
was played in Dublin, Ireland a couple weeks back. That's probably still going to be talked about, and that's kind of indelible in if Scott Frost is undercut by his decision-making, what are they going to be talking about from that game? I think I know the answer here, and why is it so important? Yeah, I mean, that onside kick got a lot of attention. Um, You're up 11 points uh, early in the third quarter. All the momentum was on your side, and for whatever reason, um, you know, Frost thought that uh, the time was to to go for the throat and go for an onside kick and and try to you know really double down on that. Well, they didn't get it, uh, and it immediately shifted uh, the momentum back in Northwestern's favor. They went down and scored, and suddenly it's a one score game again. And um, obviously, we know what happened from there. So that uh, got a lot of criticism, and deservingly so. Um, you know, I guess my biggest concern about that. I mean, the decision I didn't agree with, but his comments afterwards where he said that they were going to go and try and win the game. It's like, you're going to win the game with 11 minutes left in the third quarter in a, in a big 10 game. Like, you know, it just kind of seemed like one of those things where, you know, he, he's made a lot of bad decisions, but he's also said the, the wrong things at the wrong time a lot. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that press conference as a whole where, you know, he blasted his brand new coaching staff offensively for not being creative enough. Um, It was interesting last week where, you know, you look at video and photos of that game in Ireland, you know, Frost has a play sheet, um, but it was in his back pocket pretty much the entire game against North Dakota, especially in the second half after he went on television and said that um, they were really bad offensively. Right. He's got the play sheet right in front of him and he's looking at it between every play and he's on actively on the headset. So, you know, there's a lot of talk now about the dynamic between Frost and his offensive coordinator, Mark Whipple, about um, the whole talk was about how Whipple is going to come in and get the keys to the car and make the, the, the play calling decisions <laughs> that may have lasted a whole uh, game and a half, mm-hmm. uh, you know, at least him having that type of leeway. So, that's another thing that people are going to be watching here coming up on Saturday is just how involved Frost in the off is with the offensive play calling and what some of those plays look like. Um, are they going to go back to some of the things that had worked well for him in the past? Um, because they need something. Their offense has not been mm-hmm. good enough. They've started games and started second halves well, uh, but there's always that lull where they just kind of shut down and there's no consistency, no rhythm. Um, And I think that's kind of what his point was about the lack of creativity. Um, But again, uh, Frost sometimes has a knack for making matters worse. And I think that was another (laughs) example of that um, with, with some of his comments. So there's, a lot of rumors and speculation just about kind of the dynamic going on um, in that coaching room and the relationships that all these new coaches have with each other, particularly with Scott Frost. And, um, you know, that some of the stuff that they do with, with the play call, like the onside kick, you just got to wonder if that was Scott trying to make his mark or, you know, keep in mind they have new coaches that are also trying to make their marks. And it seemed like there that was a, a decision that in hindsight, nobody would have made, but at the time they justified it as one in which, you know, this is where we can really make our mark as coaches that we are going to, uh, you know, change the course of this game and, and, and help us win. And, um, they, they learn the hard way that sometimes those decisions have uh, pretty hefty consequences. Um, we're going to take a break here. I'm going to get back with Robin. He's going to, we're going to talk about the Georgia Southern game and what he's, what he hears about Georgia Southern, because there's a lot of changes compared to the the history of Georgia Southern. 
And also we could bring up, uh, I'll give Robin uh, time to think about this. It, it sounds like Scott Frost had never been a head coach before, but he has been a head coach even for a short time with Central Florida, uh, went undefeated. Um, he knows the Big Ten. He knows what wins in the Big Ten. He won at Nebraska. So you're, it's almost like he's not a fish out of water. So what's going on there with like who he he's he's got the ultimate responsibility, but is he making the calls or is he giving uh, the coordinators a chance like the special teams coordinator a chance to make a call and he's not overruling it or maybe he is. I'm going to get back with Robin, who's been nice enough to come here uh, through the power of Zoom. Uh, but let me uh, bring everybody up to date that uh, the Sven Morning News and savannahnow.com is your best source for local news. Want to know the latest on Georgia Southern, like we've been talking about here, or high school football. There's a lot of uh, good teams right now that are hot to start off the year. And which teams are not in the Coastal Empire? How about the Savannah State Tigers? They had a rough one in their season opener last Saturday. There's a lot to look at there. We have all that and more, including news, features, and opinion columns. If you aren't a subscriber, now's the time to try us out. You can get a full access to our content for one of our uh, discounts right now. There was a holiday discount during Labor Day weekend. Uh, discount, a recent discount has been $1 for six months. That's basically given away. Robin probably agrees with me, $1 for six months. We're basically paying you to read the paper. Um, it's been a dollar a month. Check out what the latest uh, deal is right now on Spam Morning News and digital subscriptions to the uh, savannahnow.com. You can go to savannahnow.com slash subscribe now and sign up if you so choose. savannahnow.com slash subscribe now and give us a shot. Uh, we'll get back to Robin here. Robin had a chance for lunch, I think, during that long commercial break. Maybe not. But uh, Robin, yeah, a, a lot, lot to, lot to uh, what's that? said i got a sandwich i'm feeling good it's good <laughs> good well we wouldn't want you to be malnourished or dehydrated certainly <laughs> um the number no, savannah uh i mean uh, georgia sun has never been to nebraska for a football game even coach uh clay helton said monday he's looking forward to just going it's kind of been on his bucket list memorial stadium is a special place now i've, I've been lucky enough to go, cover the college world series back in Omaha, um 1998 so i'm, I'm quite old here but that that was special sure. but uh What's the scene like, the sea of red, the noise? What's it like for a visiting team to walk into Memorial Stadium? Is Are they just overwhelmed sensory-wise? Is it just like as high as you can see um, just everywhere in Nebraska? I mean, you're just kind of enveloped by it? Yeah. I mean, obviously, um, like I said, when they're when they're good, it's got a little different vibe to it. Um, but, you know, just go back to last week where there was questions about how many people were even going to show up coming off wow. the disappointment north dakota or northwestern game playing an fcs opponent in north dakota you know there just really wasn't a lot of buzz for that game and yet on saturday uh you know 2 30 rolls around uh the place is almost completely full and so Nebraska fans are going to show up and uh you know they're they're going to come in and fill it out and you know they've always especially when it's like non-rival teams and so like the you know non-conference games like like this uh nebraska fans in general pride themselves on being very hospitable um if you're a georgia southern fan making it out there just just walk around the stadium go through the tailgate lots and somebody's going to invite you over and somebody's going to want to talk they'll give you beer give you a hot dog or something like that uh and so that i think is probably one of the best aspects of nebraska fans um is Mm -hmm. they they want to make sure that 
you know, again, as long as you're not from, from Iowa or, uh, you know, Texas or anything like that, that <laughs> and, uh, Oklahoma, Texas, Iowa, yeah. that's, that's where they draw the line. That's a different, different, uh, animal there, but, um, you know, they're, they're going to treat you right. And, uh, you know, the, the stadium itself is funny because, um, they're currently in the middle of building a hundred and I think it's now $65 million, uh, football facility that's wow. connected to the North east side of the stadium and so there's a lot of construction kind of going on in that way but um the next kind of task after that is kind of renovating the stadium a little bit it's it's a little bit dated um the bathroom setup is uh old the the seats are you know they were built in the the 1960s and um on like a bench style seating so we're like they're just numbers on a bench they haven't changed the spacing for seats uh from people that in 1962 compared to 2022. Okay. I know where you're going with that. People have changed a little bit. If you know what I'm saying. So well, when they gets, talk about butts in the seats, they were talking about butts in the seats. Exactly. Yeah, so, wow. yeah. uh, so that, that is, you know, probably, you know, one of the downsides into it, just, uh, um, you know, the amenities are compared to like the newer stadiums out there um, mm-hmm. are lacking a little bit, but as far as like the actual game day atmosphere, um, I've heard very little complaints from anybody that goes to a game. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that's uh, it's one of those places for a lot of people that um, despite Nebraska's lack of recent success is still a bucket list place. Um, and I think for the most part, it lives up to that reputation. Mm-hmm. And you know, I would, you know, again, it's not going to be like your, um, you know, I guess championship level crowd that um, maybe had been around in the past, but it'll still be a good crowd. It'll be close to sold out. Um, you know, the tickets are all sold. It's just a matter of how many people actually show up. I think it'll be a, a pretty close to full stadium. There might be some spots here and there, but um, Georgia Southern fans that do come out, they, they should get a pretty good experience as to what the Nebraska game day is all about. They're going to be outnumbered. That's for sure, though. <laughs> With close to a little bit, yeah, close to eighty six thousand. That's a lot of people. It's the place to be in Nebraska. There's no pro games in terms of football or other pro sports. Um, so um, you know, so that's the place to be. I'm sure the whole state has the TV on, uh, or the radio on, uh, and hopefully they're reading. They have the internet on and they're reading your your great coverage. Uh, let Let's talk a little bit about the the team. So with the time we have left, uh, Zoom is pretty. uh, inhospitable maybe as far as the time limit sometimes so uh nebraska has players they have players who transferred in um the quarterback the wide receiver they got their own guy uh, the great running back um a bunch of them but uh, anthony grant is just he's uh he's on pace to be an all-american at this point uh <laughs> the, right i mean what it was 190 yards in two games and he he's tough to tackle he's uh, got speed power great uh, moves great cuts um they uh George Southern gave up a little, you know, when you win 59 to seven, there's not much to complain about, especially right. when that seven came on a, a pick six, uh, which was uh, and we could talk about Kyle Vantries. That wasn't even his fault. He was hit as he threw the ball, sailed and went to a defensive back, basically uh, playing center field. And that defensive back was an LSU transfer, which is going to sound familiar to you. An LSU <laughs> transfer returned it all the way. So, um, he threw it to the exact wrong spot, as it turned out. But otherwise, they didn't give up a score. But they did give up some yards. Um, they said they're going to try to clean that up, as football coaches and players say, clean the tackling. But uh, if they don't, if they're not good 
tacklers uh, on Saturday, they're going to have trouble to Nebraska, right? Yeah. So um, Anthony Grant's emergence over the first two games has probably been the highlight. Um, you could maybe say of the entire team. Sure. Uh, he was just named Big Ten Co-Offensive Player of the Week after his breakout game against North Dakota. And, uh, you know, I think what really stands out about him is he's having the success despite some kind of uninspiring play by the offensive line. Mm -hmm. um, and a lot of that is his ability to make people miss um, his shiftiness um, in space. So he, what I, what I really like about him is he, he runs angry. Um, so when he does get hit, he's going to fight and you bet you're going to have to work to get him down. Uh, and that's if you actually get a hand on him, because he's got these jump cuts that have been outstanding. Right. He's able to bounce to the outside and turn the corner quickly and when he does get to the second level, he's got home run speed to where um, he can separate from defensive backs. And so that has really uh, breathed a lot of life into Nebraska's offense where, you know, they've just been kind of stagnant in some points and they need yeah. guys to step up and make plays individually. He's done that. He's been one of the few guys that has, has brought that element to the offense. And, and then after him, it's the quarterback, Casey Thompson, uh, right. transfer from Texas. Uh, he's been good. Uh He's been really efficient with the ball. A lot of his incompletions um, he, were drops. That's kind of been an issue. They've had some drop passes uh, that have kind of lowered his numbers a little bit. And he's really had just one bad pass. And that was an interception last week in the third quarter where he just didn't see the linebacker over the middle of the field and it got picked off and um, you know almost kind of shifted the course of the game. But overall, um, he's a very accurate passer. He's not He's not a runner like Adrian Martinez mm -hmm. was uh, for the previous four years, um, but he can he can do enough with his feet, but he is a pass-first quarterback. And when Anthony Grant um, and the rest of those running backs are running the way that they have been, that that's the kind of balance that they want. And then on the outside, uh, Trey Palmer, mentioned right. LSU transfers, uh, he's, he's by far their number one receiver. He leads them in catches, yards, um, and is really kind of their, their go-to big play receiver. Um, going back to last week, Nebraska was up a touchdown with, uh, I would say probably maybe like 11 minutes left in the fourth quarter. And they were backed up on like a fourth or th sorry, third and 14 uh, from, I think inside their own 10. And like the, they were, they were, people were biting their nails because it was sure. getting really, really dicey there. Uh, Casey Thompson went to Trey Palmer along the sideline. He jumped up and made a, th uh, a leaping 31-yard catch that kept the drive alive. They go down and score and a chain in the entire course of the game. So he's that guy for them um, on the perimeter. Now, it, it should be noted that uh, Travis Vokalek, their six-year captain tight end, uh, he's missed last week's game with the foot injury he suffered in third quarter against Northwestern right. in the opener, and he's not expected to play this week. I think that the plan is to keep him or try to get him fully healthy for Oklahoma. So he is the security blanket. He was the guy against Northwestern that when, yeah. when the line was breaking down, he was going over the middle. Casey Thompson was going over the middle to Travis Vokalek. He caught five passes for 62 yards and all five of his catches converted first downs. And so that is the type of guy he is. And not having him has been a real issue because the drop off between him and the rest of that tight end core mm -hmm. is significant. And so that has kind of taken away uh, an important element of this passing game. So um, you know, that's, I guess, good news for, for Georgia Southern. Mm -hmm. They won't have to worry about him, but 
Nebraska still has playmakers on the outside. Trey Palmer's one. Marcus Washington, he's a transfer from Texas. Um, he's uh, a, been a big part of what they do. Uh, Omar Manning, he's a he's a guy that if you just look at him, he looks like a first-round NFL draft pick, but for whatever reason, he just can't get on the field. Well, he played his most extensive playing time of his career uh, last week and was getting involved in the offense. So he's another guy you kind of got to keep an eye on. So they – like you mentioned, they've got pieces at the skill positions. You know, they're they're good at quarterback. They've got a high level running back, and they've got a variety of playmakers at wide receiver. And especially with Vocalex in there, that's a pretty good arsenal. The issue is up front of the offensive line. Um, that's been a real problem for that, them. Uh, that sounds... Going back to previous years, they 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 just they're experimenting with new guys that haven't played a lot guys at different positions and other players that were benched last season and they're giving them a second go around. So, I mean, it's just kind of this hodgepodge unit that uh, they Nebraska's offense will go as far as the offensive line goes and they have not been good enough. Um, like I said, Anthony Grant's success, a lot of it is because he's breaking three or four tackles uh, before he even gets to the next level. Um, and, you know, they, that is going to be the key, and I wouldn't be surprised uh, if Georgia Southern, um, at least they would be wise to, to to dial up some blitzes, create a lot of confusion, pre-snap movements, you know, disguise some blitzes, and just make those guys think because sometimes they have a tendency to to overthink things and they miss assignments, and guys get free shots at the quarterback. So that that would be, like I said, in in Georgia Southern's best interest to make life as difficult on them um, to account for whatever. Uh, you know, size deficiency they might have uh, by kind of getting in their heads a little bit and, and being aggressive at the point of attack. Yeah, that sounds like bizarro world if you're saying Nebraska's offensive line isn't up to standard. That's that's usually where things start when you talk about like Nebraska or, or Wisconsin, teams like that, Iowa, yeah. where it kind of you work from the line out. And the, and the Nebraska defense, a veteran defense, you got some, some pieces there, some guys that have been around a while. Um, and they haven't played great either, right? They've been susceptible to some plays. I mean, you mentioned North Dakota hanging around. I saw the Northwestern game. Of course, Northwestern's good. Another Big Ten team. They know they know each other. So you, you kind of take all that together. But um, I think the fans here in George Southern, when they play an FCS team, uh, they expect you know a fun day at the ball at the ballpark at the the stadium. They don't expect to be stressed out on the edge of their seats. They want a a nice comfortable win. Uh, you know, the other team doesn't want to cooperate, of course. Uh, maybe Nebraska fans uh, over the years kind of could expect that when they're playing a, a North Dakota who's not supposed to be even that good in their own conference, let alone across the board. But uh, Georgia Southern is kind of a mystery, right? Because it's um, the team that people knew uh, had had a down year, a very down year last year at three and nine, and they weren't unlike Nebraska, which was in every game, right? You, they set some sort of record for one score losses. Been going three and nine. I think all all nine were uh, were by, not to bring up a bad bad thing, Robin, but all all nine were by oh, one score. The last thing. the last six okay. games, just for our listeners, the last six games were losses. Then you start this year, kind of a must win, which sounds crazy, must win in Northwestern oh. against Northwestern, and you lose by one score in a game you were winning by eleven before that ill fated decision on the uh, uh, onside kick. So, uh, of course, they played after that. It wasn't like that ended the game, but. Um, so they lose that. They they snapped the losing streak last week, which is kind of good for for George Southern in that they're not going to be the the team that they need to beat to snap the streak. If there's any 
if they needed any bulletin board material, which they don't, that would be it. But George Sutton's kind of a mystery because Clay Helton, he knows Pac-12, he knows uh, Memphis, he knows football, and he knows what Nebraska is going to bring. He's got um, young defensive and offensive coordinators, special teams coordinators. They're all young. They're all up and coming. And uh, they'll see if they can outsmart or kind of put their players in position to be successful in a game they're supposed to lose. Uh, last time I looked, a three-touchdown favorite for Nebraska. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. You think that's – the, the odds makers usually know what they're doing to make sure that the, the the Vegas bookmakers make money no matter what happens on the field. So are they right? Is Should Nebraska be a three-touchdown favorite based on all you know from seeing them up close? Or are you, you thinking maybe something different? Yeah, I mean, I think that's probably a good starting point just because, for one, there's so many unknowns about Georgia Southern and what what they are and how they're going to handle that that step up in competition. Um, and Nebraska, this is their third game. It, it should be noted, too, that this is the first week they've actually had a normal week of practice okay. where going to Northwestern, they flew across the Atlantic Ocean and practiced in Dublin, Ireland for a week. And then, you know, they didn't get back till about 6.30 in the morning on Sunday. So they're um, just dead to the that, world at that point. point. Yeah. yeah, and a bunch of guys got sick. Um, oh, no, yeah. They're coming back uh, from an international trip. And so that was part of an issue. And so this is really the first time that, you know, Sunday morning, they're waking up in their own beds and getting on their normal routines, watching films, doing meetings, and then aren't adjusting to a eight hour flight, you know, that sort of thing. So like that will do them well, just to have a little bit of normalcy for them. Um, and again, you know, they, when they played to their capabilities, you know, that, that, they should be favored by that point. But what I'm really interested to see as far as like X's and O's when it comes to Georgia Southern's mm-hmm. offense versus Nebraska's defense is probably the weakest point, and not probably, the weakest point of Nebraska defense is the middle of the field. Their inside linebacker play, um, making it to a point their interior defensive line and then their safeties have been real issues. Uh, the inside linebackers in particular They've missed a bunch of tackles, and they've been really bad in coverage. The safeties um, have been okay in coverage, but they've missed a bunch of tackles. And the defensive line um, has had trouble holding up against the run. What I'm very curious to see is if Clay Helton and his staff haven't watched the film of these last two games and say, let's just attack the middle of the field with slants and you know quick ends and all that sort of thing to make uh, inexperienced and struggling inside linebacker group have to cover faster, speedier receivers in space. Um, That could be a real go-to game plan for Georgia Southern and one that, if they execute it right, could give Nebraska some fits because they've had some real problems um, just just in coverage. Um, And like I said, their tackling has been a real uh, issue. And so if Georgia Southern can get those guys in space – you know, they, they might have a shot to, to win some of those battles and turn some some short plays into some big gainers just with the way Nebraska's had some problems there. Yeah, I, 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 that's an interesting point because, uh, you know, just watching the first game and watching scrimmages and the spring game where they threw the ball a lot. And when we say a lot, you know, 10, game, 10 passes a game used to be a lot. And now you're talking uh, close to 50. Uh, I'm not kidding that Georgia yeah. Southern with the, the run heavy option offense and it wasn't a pure triple option last year. It was some sort of, I hate to say hybrid was some sort of compromise really of because their quarterbacks were not, were a weakness of the team. And I'm not, I don't mean personally, as far as guys, but in terms of what their skill set was and experience their, their whole, 
you know, you talk about how important a quarterback is, and you you have one with Thompson that you you go, well, we know what this guy, or we think we know what this guy can do, what kind of plays he can run. They didn't have that last year. They kind of got undermined with the with the heir apparent quarterback. Uh, got suspended the first two games for academic ineligibility. Then he he made up for it, but they were just behind. They were just like you know always behind. And then the heir apparent for next season, which would be now, he uh, he kind of got thrown into the fire got hurt a little bit, but uh, he showed promise. They kind of just cobbled together a quarterback crew. That's different now. Kyle Ventries, who you guys remember from the Buffalo game last year, a year ago, almost exactly, September 11th last year, uh, Buffalo was not as good as Nebraska, evidently, but Kyle uh, st- kind of stuck in there, right? He kind of he kind of held his own a little bit. Um I think it was 27 of 44 or something for 244 yards. I might be off on the numbers there, but he was um, he was at his best actually when he punted. You might remember his 81 yard punt, but but he, yeah, he um, yeah, set so, a record. yeah. Honestly, is but, it still the stadium record? He wondered that if it was. Yeah, I, I think it's it's an opponent um, opponent stadium record for longest punt. It's 82. Yards, 81 80 the, from the 81, 19 yeah. to the end zone and then the touchback the net 61 but he said it just rolled and rolled he was not their punter he was the yeah, fill-in yeah. punter for the, only that one punt so i'm not sure what happened to the uh, other punter who punted the rest of the way but kyle punted in high school he's an all-around athlete uh he's sixth year now so his advantage is he's been there before and he he can run this offense they they he as a transfer portal guy they brought him in specifically you could call it a bridge quarterback but they brought him to run the offense this year. They didn't have anybody really on the team from last year who could run this offense. They have a bunch of freshmen now who are behind Kyle Vantries. So they really need him to stay healthy and run the show this year and then kind of prep everybody for next year and, and future years. So they really have a very uh, inexperienced quarterback room except for Kyle Vantries. Uh, and, um, and he does have that experience of playing against Nebraska once and, and being the starter for three years at Buffalo. And the offense that we've seen, they kind of throw the ball to every, they say every blade of grass all over, whether it's vertical or horizontal, but particularly the, to the, to the, to the left and right flanks, They're, whether it's to a, um, um, a slot back or, or the, the flanker on the, on the outside. I haven't seen that many passes over the middle, not saying that that won't change. Maybe they didn't, they didn't run those passes against, Maybe you're smart here, Robin. You you got ahead of us there. Maybe they didn't run Morgan State. They didn't need to, but maybe they didn't throw over the middle. To my recollection, they were throwing more to the outside. And then once they got that big lead, they ran the ball in the fourth quarter. They did not throw the ball in the fourth quarter. So they did not give away the store in the set in the fourth quarter. And I don't know if they showed Nebraska every play in the playbook. I'm going to say no, they didn't. So um, they certainly they they brought in guys like Jeremy Singleton from Houston who's another veteran on the wide receivers. They got some young receivers, uh, but they've got a kind of a mix of younger and older guys and the wide receivers. Basically I I've been saying they're the happiest guys on the team because if they got one or two targets a game, that was something to call home about the last 30 years. But, but, or since they've been with the program this year, this game, I think every one of them might've averaged four targets a game. Uh, and they used a lot of receivers. So, um, Kyle Ventry's connected with 10 different receivers, including running backs. And um, they basically spread the ball around. And maybe that's that. And don't make any mistakes. Don't have any turnovers. Don't have any costly mistakes. Uh, penalties only had three. 
So if they could play a, a near perfect game, they could be hanging around in the fourth quarter, third quarter, like North Dakota was, and certainly has Northwestern was, and maybe something can happen. But like you said, we don't know. We're running out of time. Uh, let me see. We got about four or five minutes uh, before we get shut down by the company here. So, Robin, uh, is there anything uh, when you heard Clay Helton is the coach of Georgia Southern, and he was fired from uh, Southern Cal after you know uh, what most people would think of as a successful run. He won two out of every three games. He won a Pac-12 title. He won a Rose Bowl. He was twice nominated for National Coach of the Year. Yet, two games into a season, when he went one and one, they lost badly to Stanford. And the people at South Carolina, uh, South Carolina, that's the USC over here where I am. So USC, so Southern California, they said, well, that's it. We, we don't like the direction this is going. We like Clay as a person. We don't see him as the coach anymore. And they basically punted on the season as it turned out. Uh, and uh, now they have Lincoln Riley and they have, I guess, what they wanted. But uh, what do, do you have uh, in Nebraska? Do you have feelings about what Clay Helton has been through and and how that relates maybe to what Scott Frost has gone through uh, in terms of expectations about being a blue blood program. And we don't settle for pretty good, or we don't settle for almost beating an Oklahoma or other nationally ranked teams. You guys played a lot of nationally ranked teams. You guys, the corn Oscars uh, last season and didn't beat any of them. So is that kind of what Clay Helton kind of, he kind of probably understands and empathizes with what Scott Frost is going through right now. Yeah, I think when you coach at a place like Nebraska or USC, that just comes with the territory where um, there's a standard of success that, um, you know, clearly what what has happened at Nebraska is not good enough. And what uh, even what Clay Helton did at USC wasn't good enough for some. Now, I will say UCLA is probably a little bit more volatile um, just in the way they they do their business over there. Um, firing coaches in season is nothing new to them. Uh, so they're. <laughs> Uh, oh, yeah. they, they go about their business a little bit differently, but certainly, um, the pressure to win, um, is just as high there as it is in Nebraska. Um, you know, the one thing that, you know, we're, we're about we're running out of time here. Robin. Go ahead. Right, one thing that's different about Nebraska is just that, uh, like you said, it's the only thing in town. And so everybody's watching, everybody's caring in USC. It's easy to get distracted over there, but cer certainly the expectations are, are equally high. So Clay Helton gets it. Okay. We thank our guest, our guest, Robin Washington, a wealth of information, a great guest, Robin, if they ever play Nebraska again, I invite you back. I'll double the pay. Uh, two times zero is still <laughs> zero. That's my running joke. Sadly, it's still true. And it's not really a joke. Um, and maybe not funny. Uh, thanks very much to everybody for listening. gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.